You are listening to the audio podcast of Gethsemane Baptist Church, located in Long Beach, California, pastored by Eli Reynolds. I love songs about heaven, amen? How many of your hands are freezing right now? Can I just see? Okay, there's my people. My hands are so cold today. Nothing else. I'm good everywhere else, but my hands are freezing. I think when I play guitar, or I know I'm going to, my brain just drains all the, the heat from them, so it makes it a lot harder. So I don't know, but it's good to, good to see you here today. We do have the heat on in here, but we don't want to put the heat up too much. We don't want you to, we don't want you to get too comfortable because then... You will make beds out of your seats in here, okay? So we don't. But I tell you, the balcony is uh, is probably a lot warmer. Is it warmer up there, folks? Hey, wake up, balcony. Is it warmer up there? No. Yes. No. Some are saying yes. Some are saying no. It's all right. Okay. Well, we want you. We want uh, those in the balcony to start coming downstairs. So we're going to make it a thousand degrees up there for you. All right. But anyway, First Samuel chapter eighteen. Hey, just two quick announcements. Three actually. Uh, before we get started, before the service today, I had several people say, Pastor, hear about Brother Cole. And uh, Brother Cole was up and walking this morning, but uh, they had to rush him to the emergency room. And uh, that's all I know. I think he's was complaining about his legs. Um, you know, he's been dealing with a lot of uh, swelling in his legs and things of that nature. So let's be in prayer for Brother Robert Cole and uh, certainly do miss him. And then I, I saw Brother Neldon here today, Neldon Nicholas, and he was walking around, but he was on the phone. And he texted me and said, Pastor, sorry, we had to leave early. My dad's in the hospital, just got taken right away to the hospital. So if you'll pray for Brother Cole and then for Neldon's dad, I know that they would appreciate that. And we'll take a moment uh, in just a second here to pray for them. But I do also want to announce, have an announcement for our ladies here. And uh, as you walk out these middle doors, there's a table right there. And on that table, there is a stand that has this. This is called the page. And I've only announced it, I think, one time in church, but it's for all the ladies of our church. And it's written, it's basically an article that my wife writes once a month for the ladies of our church to correct all of the mistakes that you are making. And there's so many. There's so many. No, I'm just kidding. It's not about that at all. She just wrote, just wants to write a, a, a note to our ladies every month and just a little article, and it's always very good. She gives recommendations on there for podcasts and music and things. And, and so ladies, those are free. Just every month at the beginning of the month, they're there. And uh, if you want to run and grab, the, not right now, but after church, if you want to grab that, and I know it'll be a blessing to you. And I don't, we don't push that much, but I uh, wanted to remind you of that, okay? Good. First Samuel chapter 18, I want to preach a message this morning entitled, Who Did God Give You? Who did God give you? And um, I, I want to just from the very beginning tell you what the message is going to end up being, but it's going to take us a little while to get there. I'm not long-winded, but what I mean is I want to show you several passages of Scripture, and then after we get through a couple passages explaining some relationships, I want to take you to another passage and, and maybe show you uh, a new light on a passage that you are very familiar with, and give us some thoughts here about really helping us, I hope, to see this morning that you are never alone. You are never alone. And so I could have titled it that, but I, I wanted to just call it, Who Did God Give You? 
And uh, so we'll see some things here. First Samuel chapter number 18 in your Bibles today, verse 1, the Bible says, And it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking so, uh, unto Saul. What has happened? Well, what happened in 1 Samuel 17? David killed Goliath, the giant. David, a young man, 17, I believe, at the time, kills a giant for, uh, who had defied God and defied Israel, and he took the stone out of the brook. He, put, he was obviously a really good shot with that slingshot, you know, and he, when he took it and he whirled it around, threw it, hit Goliath in the head with the stone. Goliath was literally a giant, uh, nine feet, six inches, some, uh, if we take the cubit to mean 18 inches in there, and he falls down. David runs over, chops his head off with his own sword and holds the head up, probably takes the blood and smears it, ah, you know, and uh, just an amazing victory. I mean, no one was coming out to fight Goliath, and David did. And so Saul, the first king of Israel, was Saul. God didn't want Israel to have a king. God was the king. But the people said, oh, we want to be like every other nation, so make us a king. They, God told them what kind of king Saul would be. He said, he's going to be a bad king. He's going to take everything from you. And Saul started out well, but boy, he got jealous of David. When David went out and killed Goliath and, and people started singing songs about David instead of Saul, Saul got jealous of David. So uh, uh, chapter 18 we see here it came to pass in verse 1 when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. Who's Jonathan? Jonathan is Saul's son. He's the prince. He is King Saul's son. And he and David form a great friendship right away. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would let him go no more home to his father's house. So he said, David, don't you go home, man. You come to that, back to the palace. Right At this point, he wasn't jealous of David. But he said, I want you to come back. You're, you're a warrior. You're a victor. Everybody loves you. I want you around me. Then Jonathan, verse 3, and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the rope. So he takes off his royal garments of a, as a prince and gives them in, in an honorary fashion to David, who was just a poor shepherd. And he takes uh, off the robe that was upon him and gave it to David, his garments, into his sword, to his bow, and to his girdle. So these outside royal garments that, that, uh, uh, that, that Jonathan had, he said, hey, David, man, I want you to have this. Here, let me put the robe on you, pal, and I want you to have my sword and, and uh, to show that, hey, you, you are special. You are, uh, you are somebody. And, and, and Jonathan just sees this young man be victorious and says, man, I like this guy. I like this guy. And so there's this fast friendship that is, is formed. And David, verse 5, went out with his Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. So uh, here's Jonathan and David. Jonathan, by the way, in his own right, was a very brave warrior. If you read 1 Samuel chapter 14, Jonathan and his armor bearer take on a whole host of Philistines and wind up whipping them and killing them. And uh, so Jonathan was a brave warrior, zealous for God, and he sees another young man that's a brave warrior who's zealous and passionate for God, and he says, I like this guy. And they become fast friends. They're both young, brave, loyal, and had a love for God. You ever heard the saying, two peas in a pod? That's a saying to say, hey, they're, they're of the same ilk. And, and certainly Jonathan and David had a lot of the same similarities, and they formed a fast friendship. Look at verse 16. It wasn't just Jonathan that loved David, verse 16, but all Israel and Judah loved David. 
because he went out and came in before them. So everybody, like Jonathan loves David. He's like, man, this guy is awesome. And then you, you see not only them, but, but Israel in general and Judah, the specific tribe that David was from. Man, they all just like, this guy. Wait, you, you ever meet somebody like that? You just can't help but like them. And, and that's David. I mean, he, he was humble. He was a, a, he was a good-looking guy. He was brave. He was a warrior. He was writing psalms. He was he, he was just he was a great guy. But he didn't let all that get to him. He was a humble guy, and people just liked him. But not only did Jonathan love David, and Israel and Judah loved David. But look at verse number twenty. And Michael, Saul's daughter, loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. So not only did, did Saul's son love David, and Saul's nation love David, Saul's daughter loved David too. And uh, she, she really loved David. <laughs> it, it, definitely in a different type of way there. It had a love for him. Everyone around David is developing a loyalty to him, and a loyal love. Why? Because God had already pronounced upon King Saul that your time's done. And I'm raising up another guy after you that will, that will serve me and he'll do what's in my heart. And so David is now winning, without even trying, he's winning all these people to him. They're loving him. Now here's the interesting thing about that. In, <coughs> excuse me, in chapter 16 of the same book, verse 21, the Bible says that Saul loved David greatly. So at one point, Saul, when he first met David, was like, man, I love this kid. He is an awesome guy. But then when David started getting victory after victory after victory, and he comes back from battle, and people are singing the song, hey, Saul has slain his thousands, and David is ten thousands. He's like, wait a second. I'm the king. Why aren't they honoring me? We need to be careful that we're not getting jealous of other people, people that may be under, uh, we're the king, but they're underneath us and they're getting praise. Oh, no. No, we need to be more secure than that. And Saul wasn't. He was an insecure, proud leader. And, and so at one point, he loved David. And so now he hates David. And now he wants David dead. But David and Jonathan had formed this friendship and this love that was a, a devotion and allegiance, a brotherhood. He was loyal enough to David to say, even later, Jonathan would say, hey, look, I know you're going to be king. I know that I'm the prince, but I'm not going to be king. I know that you're going to be king. And when you're king, man, I'm going to serve at your right hand. I'm going to be the best right-hand man you can have. And I'm going to be there supporting you. That took a lot for a prince to say that. Now, in chapter 19, I won't have you read the whole passage there, but Jonathan's loyalty and brotherly love for David is seen again. And he, in, in chapter 19 and chapter 20, we see Jonathan protecting David. Jonathan warns David, hey, uh, uh, at first David's like, hey, I think your dad's trying to kill me. And he's like, no, my dad loves you. No, he was trying to kill him. And so Jonathan warns him away from that. And then they, they come up with this ruse in chapter 20 because David's like, I think he's going to kill me again. Jonathan's like, he might. Let me try to find out. And he goes through this whole thing and they figure out that, yes, Saul is going to definitely try to kill David. So Jonathan warns him away and says, hey, you need to run away. And, and I'll protect you as much as I can, but you need to be gone. And that's what was going on in chapter 19 and 20, the, the plot that is uncovered. Even in, during that time, Jonathan makes David swear. He says, David, when you become king, I want you to show kindness to me. And if I die, David, if you're king and I'm dead, I want you to show kindness to my family too. I don't want your kindness to end with me. Show kindness to my family. 
Jonathan had a wife and had kids. Now, if you'll take your Bible, go to 2 Samuel chapter 1. The next book over, 2 Samuel chapter number 1. 2 Samuel chapter number 1. So we got these two BFFs here, these two best friends, Jonathan and David. Their lives took dramatic different courses. And over the course of time, since God had promised to Saul that he was, he was done and his family was done, Jonathan was part of the casualties of Saul's sins. And if you'll look at 2 Samuel chapter number 1, verse 4, the Bible says this, And David said unto him, How went the matter? I pray thee, tell me. And uh, he, he, where am I? And he answered, That the people are fled from the battle, and many of the people also are fallen and dead, and Saul and Jonathan his son are dead also. So there's this big battle that takes place, and David gets word back, and he said, how'd the battle go? And they said, Saul and Jonathan are dead. Actually, his other sons, Milchai, Shuai, and another son died as well. Saul's sons died in that battle. But for David, the two that mattered the most were Saul and Jonathan. David was still loyal, even to Saul, even after Saul tried to kill him multiple times. But he loved Jonathan, and, and, uh, and, and he hears this, and it's heartbreaking. Look at verse 11. Then David took hold on his clothes and rent them, and likewise all the men that were with him, and they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel because they were fallen by the sword. Jonathan does die, and David is just grieving for his friend and for his king, Saul, and his son Jonathan. Look at verse 23 through 27, then we'll pray, and I'll give you some thoughts here in just a moment. Chapter uh, 1, we're in the same chapter, verse 23 through 27. And Saul and Jonathan, this is David, he's like, he's like giving a, a, almost like a funeral speech here for them. Saul and Jonathan were lovely and pleasant in their lives, and in their death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. Ye daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet with other delights, who put in ornaments of, on ornaments of gold upon your apparel, uh, in your apparel. How are the mighty fallen in the midst of the battle? O Jonathan, thou wast slain in thine high places. I am distressed for thee, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant hast thou been unto me. Thy love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. How are the mighty fallen, the weapons of warfare perished? Now, I do want to just caution you really quickly here. When we read that verse there, verse 26, where uh, David is talking about Jonathan, I have heard people in our day and age take that verse to mean that Jonathan and David were in some type of relationship that is against the Bible, a, uh, a, a homosexual relationship. But what it's saying there is not that. He calls him, first of all, in that verse, he says, my brother Jonathan. This was a, he felt blood brothers. And what he means there, pleasant has to have been to me, thy love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. What he's saying there, he's saying our brotherhood was stronger than romance with some girl that, I, that he's had. You know, David had many wives. He's saying the, the bond of brotherhood that we felt. Man, it, we were so close. We were brothers. And it was, and it was hey, I enjoyed that brotherhood better than, he didn't have a great relationship with his wives. If you look at David, they didn't seem to have a great relationship. And he said, it, it surpasses the love of women. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a brother. There's something about being in the, in the trenches with somebody. Many of you who've served in the military, you know, your brothers in arms. You know, there, there's a camaraderie, there's a brotherhood. And certainly David and Jonathan had been through it together. And there is this strong brotherhood. 
Now, I want to pray, and I want to turn to another passage here. But Stay with me, if you would. Father, thank you for today. Bless, I pray, this message in the next few moments we have. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, I want to take you to another place quickly here, then give you a couple thoughts. I want you to go to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter number 4 in your Bibles. And these thoughts are going to seem disconnected for a moment, but then we're going to bring it all together. Proverbs chapter number 4. Wise sayings in the book of Proverbs have history. They have background, okay? There's a reason why certain things are being done. I talked recently about some of the rules we had at our college when I went to college, and and some of the rules made no sense to me, but I know that if I had heard the backstory, I would understand maybe why that rule was there. You know, there was a rule, uh, I don't know, there was so many random rules, but but, uh, for some, some reason, somebody must have done that stupid thing in order for that rule to be made. You know what I'm saying? But so when you're seeing Proverbs in the book of Proverbs, there's a reason why they're wise sayings. Probably because someone did it the wrong way. But there's also, uh, uh, you know, there's wisdom to be had here that we see in this book. But I want you to look, if you would, at chapter 4 of Proverbs, verse 1. Hear ye children the instruction of a father, and attend to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine, forsake ye not my law. Now, we'll read the next two verses. Who wrote Proverbs? Or Solomon did. It would be more accurate to say that Solomon compiled the Proverbs. Think about that for a second. It's more accurate to say that Solomon compiled the Proverbs. He did not come up with every proverb himself. We can see that in several instances. He was taught things by his father. He was taught things by his mother. Many people believe that first uh, that Proverbs chapter 31, where it talks about King Lemuel being taught by his mother, a lot of people believe that was talking about Solomon. It means chosen of God, I think is what the name means, and it would make sense that Bathsheba would call him that. But if that's true, then he learned all of that from his mother, Bathsheba. But anyway, uh, these were compiled, certainly, and I think Solomon did write a lot of these, But look at verse number three. Here's Solomon speaking. For I was my father's son. Who's his father? David. I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. He taught me also and said unto me, let thine heart retain my words, keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not. And he goes on and on and on. What's he saying? He's saying these are things that my dad taught me. These are words of wisdom that my dad, King David, gave me. Now that's interesting to understand that, that Solomon learned so much of what he knew from his dad, who was obviously a very wise man, King David. Now, we don't necessarily know which of these Proverbs he learned from David, but I think as we go through, we can certainly see David's wisdom in them. And I want to show you one specific proverb. I want you to go to chapter 18. Chapter 18. This is finally our, our text verse, okay? You've made it. You've arrived. We're at the text. For uh, Proverbs chapter 18. Keeping everything in mind that we just read. Keeping everything in mind that you just heard. I want to read a verse to you. Notice the wisdom that's given in this verse. And I wonder, was it King David that taught Solomon this? Look at Proverbs chapter 18 and look at verse number 24. The Bible says, here's the wise saying. Here's the proverb. 
A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. Notice this. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. There is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. If anybody knew about that type of friendship, it was David. Why? Because he had a friend that stuck closer than his own family, Jonathan. And we don't know if, if David taught Solomon this, but certainly I would think as a dad teaching his son that Solomon would have known about what was going on. Now, one great thing about uh, David was David's humility, which I mentioned earlier. You see, and, and his humanity would be another one, but David was born outside the kingdom. He was born outside the palace. He wasn't born in the palace. He was born outside the palace. He was in the, he was in the countryside. He was the lowest of the low. He was a shepherd boy. When, when, when Samuel came to declare who the new king was, Jesse, who was the dad of David and seven others, said, uh, uh, you know, let me bring my sons in here. And, so, and then Samuel said, Don't, do you have any more kids? Because these aren't the guys. He's like, well, I got this little runt out here watching our sheep. He said, well, go, go get him. We're not leaving until you get him. Bring him in. Comes in. Turns out it's him. David's the one. But David did not grow up in, in, that, uh, in that environment. And it doesn't seem like when you see David's interaction with his brethren, his brothers, it doesn't seem like they had a great relationship. It doesn't seem like he was close. Solomon grew up inside the kingdom. Solomon grew up and was born when his dad was already king. All Solomon knew was, king, it was the kingdom. He was born a prince. He knew the palace. I wonder how many friends he had. I wonder how many true friends he had. Because he grew up in that environment. He didn't seem particularly close to his siblings. Didn't seem close to Absalom or Adonijah or Amnon or Tamar. Didn't seem particularly close to any of them. Seemed close to his mom. What I'm saying here is this, and think about this as well. As Solomon is growing up, so we don't know if David wrote this or David taught it, but I would certainly think that David taught Solomon the truth that there, is, there are friends that stick closer than family. And even if Solomon did not hear that from his dad's own lips, may I remind you who Solomon would see sitting at the dinner table every day? Mephibosheth. Who was Mephibosheth? Mephibosheth was Jonathan's son. And David goes and finds Mephibosheth, who was lame, couldn't walk on his feet, and brings him to his dinner table. And every day, here's Solomon sitting with Jonathan's son. You're going to tell me Solomon didn't know? You're going to tell me Solomon didn't know about Jonathan and David and the love that they had, the brotherhood that they had? I'm going to tell you, they did know. So there is something behind this verse greater than what we read it. We read this verse and we think, oh, he's talking about Jesus. And hey, we're going to apply it to Christ. But I think he was talking about Jonathan. I think he's talking about that there can be people in life that stick closer to you than your own family will. Everybody in this room, you probably have family that, that may not be as close to you as you would like them to be. Or maybe you, you have them pushed away from you for good reason. They shouldn't be close to you for some things they've done or whatever it may be. I wonder as David and Solomon wrote this, I wonder if there were tears in both their eyes as they say things like this. Perhaps... But God, I want you to understand that God does not make you go through life alone. He doesn't make you go through life alone. Now, God gives us a lot of what's. He tells us what to do. He tells us what we were created for. If you're following him and you're serving God and you're walking with God, he will tell you a lot of what's. But God also gives us whom's. Whom? 
People with whom we go through life. People that we go through life with. That's what God gives us too. And I want to just say today that none of us are alone. And just quickly here, I'll give you three things quickly. Who does God give you? Who did God give you? Number one, I want to say this. Sometimes God gives us companions. Sometimes God gives us companions. Maybe you are, you know, introverts in here probably have one or two friends. The extroverts, you feel like everybody's your friend. You're like those, those dogs, you know, that just go around and, and are happy with everybody. And, and they're just, everybody's my friend, you know. And, and hey, I'm not making fun. I don't mean to call you a dog today, goodness. But uh, that probably wasn't the kindest thing. I didn't mean that. But, but for some people, you may feel like, and you may be here thinking, I have no close friends. I don't have anybody that's close. Well, I'll tell you that David knew what it was like to have a friend that stuck, close, stuck closer than a brother. This was a friendship that was deeper than any relationship he had with his family. Or with a wife even, it seemed like, in the trenches, warfare type of brotherhood. It really doesn't seem like, again, he, he had a great relationship with his brothers. Not, not much is mentioned in relationship with his wives. So maybe they're not even in this category. But if you have a companion, if you have a friend that is stuck with you through thick and thin, you ought to thank God for that. What a valuable relationship. If you have a companion that you have known for a long time, and it could be family, but they have stuck with you. Boy, you ought to thank God for that and value that. There is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Many of you know the name Jesse Owens, uh, uh, the black athlete from the 30s who went to Nazi Germany to compete in the Olympic Games, and he tore it up. And he Four gold medals. I mean, he's just destroying people in, in these competitions. And he went over to Germany, and he had previously set a world record for the long jump, and he was going to try to qualify for the long jump in the Olympics. That, I think it was the 32, 1932 Olympics. And, uh, and he was nervous. He was in Germany. I mean, Hitler's there. There was a bunch of just these white, blonde, blue-eyed Germans that, you know, Hitler was trying to say, or that's, the, you know, the greatest race or whatever. And uh, so he goes over there, and he's warming up and preparing, and he's nervous. And he looked over next to him, and he saw this super tall, white, blonde-haired, blue-eyed German. And he got a little nervous about that. He knew that the Germans were trying to prove superiority and supremacy, especially even over black people. And he knew that. And this is him telling the story. But, but the German man came over to him and introduced himself. His name was Luz Long. Luz Long. That's a cool name. But Luz Long was his name. And he came over and introduced himself to Jesse Owens. And he said, you should be able to qualify with your eyes closed. And he began bragging on Jesse Owens. That took him by surprise. And so Jesse was explaining to him that he was nervous that what if he stepped over the line and got disqualified? And Luz said, look, you, you have like the world record at this. And he said, so why don't you just take a, a, a piece of tape and put it like three inches back and make that your mark so that you can be, you qualify for sure. And this guy was, was jumping along, too, and uh, doing a great job. And so that's what Jesse Owens did. He put that tape back, and he jumped from there. He qualified. He went on to set the world record again that year, won another gold medal in that event. But, you know, he formed this friendship with Luz Long, and that all happened right in front of Hitler. When he won the gold medal, the first person to congratulate him was Luz Long. Ran over to him and told him congratulations as Hitler watched the whole thing. Luz Long died in World War II shortly thereafter. Jesse never saw him again. 
But here's what Jesse Owens said about Luz Long. He said, you could melt down all the metals and cups I have, and they wouldn't be a plaiting on the 24-karat friendship I felt for Luz Long. Take these gold medals. You could, they, wouldn't even, they wouldn't even be anything compared to the friendship I had for Luz Long. I don't know if you have a friend like that. I don't know if you have a connection like that, but if you do, you ought to thank God. Maybe you're not as close to family as you'd like to be, but God's given you a friend. Maybe God's given you a friend. And, he, and if he hasn't, he can. And if you have one, again, be thankful. Hey, if you're married today, your spouse is your companion. It's supposed to be. It's supposed to be. I don't get this whole thing when people are like, well, I have my spouse, but really all my best friends are over. You have a companion. You, you have one there. Sir, let's make sure that you thank God for the wife that stuck with you through thick and thin. Let's make sure we're sticking with the one that stuck with us. Okay, and, and they've seen you at your worst and still love you? Look, any woman that's seen a man's feet and stays with him, that woman is gold. You better not try to find another one. What I'm saying is you better be thankful that God's given you a companion. Let's say you don't have the, uh, uh, you, you're not married, you, you, you don't feel super close. God can give you people in your life that can substitute the place and can be closer to you than family. Not only has God given you companions, but God also gives you church. God gives you church. Pastor, I don't have any super close friends. But you got a church. You got a church. Thank God for that. Not everybody's going to have a Jonathan in their life. Not everybody's going to. But, and not everyone's going to have a marriage where their spouse is their companion. There's people, they, they struggle with marriage. Not everyone has that one friend, that BFF, you know, best friends forever. Not everyone is close to their family like it was intended to be. So what does God do? Sometimes, you know, there are people in our world that when they get saved, their family disowns them. I heard a story this week from Glenn Cole, the guy who, he, he came and preached a while back. He was from Operation Mordecai. And uh, they, they do security training. They came and taught us some things about security for our church. They went to Sierra Leone and, and uh, were winning people to Christ. It was an amazing thing. They got they're, someone over there trusted Christ as Savior. And as soon as he did, their family disowned him. There, there are things that happen. So what does God do when family disowns or, or maybe uh, uh, friendships that you had growing up, you split? I don't know. What does God do? He's given everybody. Another family, a church family. Praise God for a church family. He gives you brothers and sisters in Christ. In Christ and you don't even have to live with them. Isn't that great? One of the worst things about your brother or sister, you had to live with them. But now you have a church family. That's a wonderful thing. You may not have a best friend or a soulmate type of friend, but you have a church. Praise God for that. You have a community of people that care about you and love you the way you are. Man, praise the Lord. This is why it's so foolish to miss church. It's so foolish, especially when you're lonely. I'm, I'm just lonely. I'm going to sit out church. Why? God gave you a church for those, of, for those times too. By the way, that's why we have Gethsemane Baptist Church teams now. We have teams where you can serve with somebody else so that you can get to know them and form friendships and develop that. And everybody needs that connection. No matter how introverted you are, you need that connection. Not everybody gets to have a Jonathan, a companion. Sadly, not everybody in this world gets to have a good church. And a good church family, like they should. They should get to have that, but they don't. But lastly, you don't have a companion, 
And there are some people that don't have a church. Everybody can have Christ. Everybody can have Christ. What a great blessing. It doesn't matter where you are in this world or what you've been through, no matter who has forsaken you and who has left you and who has treated you wrong and who was your best friend but they stabbed you in the back and who you thought were family but, man, they've forsaken you. No matter all of that, you do have a friend that sticks closer than any brother. You do have Christ. And thank God, because of Christ, you're never alone. He knows you better than anybody and still loves you. He's devoted to you and loyal to you. He's with you through thick and thin. He walks with you through the valley of the shadow of death. He's with you on the mountaintop. He sacrificed his very life for you. And he wants to be closer to you than anybody else in this world can be. That's what Christ wants. He wants that type of relationship with you. Boy, we sing a song in our hymnal, Jesus, what a friend of sinners. What a friend. There's no greater friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. Boy. Draw nigh to God, the Bible says, and he'll draw nigh to you. You want to have a better relationship with Christ? It's up to you. Draw nigh. The, 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 very, the fact is, you have as good a relationship with God as you want to have right now. And if you want to have a friend that's closer, then you get yourself closer to Christ. That's what you have to do. David did not have Jonathan very long in his life. After Jonathan died, we're pretty hard-pressed to find anybody that was really close to David. Nathan was close to David. Nathan was a good friend. He was the prophet that pointed at David and said, you're the man, David, uh, that that committed the sin. David did not have a church to go to like we have. The church wasn't even invented yet. (laughs) The the church, uh, the local body of believers, Jesus brought that to to the earth. But David did have the Lord with him at all times. He did have that. And if you know anything about David, you know that he was a man after God's own heart. And I think it's safe to say that the Lord became David's best friend. I think it's safe to say that. I'll tell you the story, and I'm done. I, years ago, I was going through some health things, many, many years ago. And uh, just where I, I, you know, you can, you can be around people and still feel alone. And I was going through some things, just, you know, I felt like I, I couldn't share a lot. I didn't want to be a complainer and, and all of that. And, and I just really felt alone. I mean, I had my wife. I had my kids. We didn't have all those kids at the time. But, but I did have family, and I did have a church family that I knew cared for me. But even in the midst of all that, I tell you, I still felt so alone. And I was going through just a difficulty with my health and uh, didn't know if anything would change, didn't know if anything would get better. I remember walking up to the youth room. I didn't want to be down here praying anywhere. I didn't want want anybody to see me. So I walked up and got into the youth room and it was dark in there. And I said, you know, I'm going to sing some songs and I'm just going to pray and talk to God for a while. And I'm not going to complain, but I'm just going to pray. And, And boy, I was just having a difficult time. And I remember taking a songbook. Do we have songbooks around here? Here we go. And it wasn't this one, but it was, we have blue songbooks in our youth department that are very similar. And I said, I just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm at my wit's end and just not going to, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this, but I know God will help me. And I just remember praying, God, I just feel so alone. I just feel so alone. I want to hear your voice. I'm going to tell you the truth. Now, I'm not, uh, you know, spooky, all of that, but I open up the hymnal. And the hymn that I saw when I opened up the hymnal was called Never Alone. I remember just looking at that, I just started crying. And I just, I, was, I tried to sing it. You know, trying to sing when you're crying. No bueno, okay? It doesn't work well. 
And, I, and I'm, not a, I'm not one of those that cries and can talk with a tear coming out. I'm all in, you know. I remember just standing in the youth department, just bawling, and just reading the, reading the words. You know, our songbook, if you read the words of those songs, when you're going through stuff, man, they mean so much more. And I stood up there and just thanked God that he knew that I needed to hear, hey, Eli, you're never alone. I see you, I'm with you, and no, no, never alone. That's what the word says. And I want to just tell you today, you're never alone. You have God at all times with you, and he wants to be close. So today, I don't know if you feel alone. I don't know if maybe you said, hey, I want to be, I want to have friends. I want to have companions. Maybe you do. If you do, thank God you have those relationships. Thank God you have a church. Thank God for Jesus Christ. But I'll tell you, if you don't have those things, you do have a church, and you do have Jesus Christ today. So you're never alone. Father, I pray you help us today to recognize who you gave us in life. God, we get so fixed.